0: Welcome to 15 Minutes of Fangs and Folklore, with your host, Matthew Miller. We give you pint-sized, bite-sized pieces of supernatural monster lore, exploring their origins, their history, and their meaning to the human condition. Listen, if you dare. <laughs> something comforting and secure about being in your own home, isn't there? So when someone invades your home, your sanctuary, it's terrifying, it's offensive, it's outrageous, it's violent. But what if the home invader is invisible but very much there? What if the invader can not only turn your home upside down but actually do things that seem to defy the laws of physics? What if the invader has a will of pure evil? wants nothing more than to kill you and steal your soul. What if the invader is a poltergeist? I'm your host, Matthew Miller, expert on all things monster and paranormal. I'm a horror writer from the dark and haunted swamps of Louisiana, and it's my pleasure to welcome you into my terrifying world. Please check out my books on Amazon, beginning with Blood Feud, a punk rock vampire story, which is volume one of the Gravedigger series. The Gravediggers are a punk rock band who keep crossing paths with all sorts of dark, evil supernatural creatures. It's horror, it's comedy, and one super entertaining series. Volume 4 is coming out any day now. It's a six-part series. One through three are out. Four is coming out soon, so be sure to read the first three so you'll be up to date. Poltergeist. It's a strange word, isn't it? Well, that's because it's not English. It's German. In German, polter refers to a rumbling sound, a disturbance, and of course, geist means ghost. So a poltergeist is a rumbling, disturbing spirit. You've probably seen it uh, also defined as a noisy ghost, translated that way. That's fine. I've done tons of study and research on many paranormal topics, but I think the topic of the poltergeist might be the one I know the most about. It also really scares the hell out of me. Did you see the 1982 film Poltergeist? This, by the way, it's a great horror movie. It's truly scary. If you haven't seen it, you really should. It's a classic in the canon of horror movies. But I mention that film because it includes many things that are usually found in real or allegedly real poltergeist cases. The the people who made that movie did their research. What I mean is, if you take all of the alleged poltergeist cases that we know of and study them, you'll see that several elements are common to all of them. So what I'm going to call this is, I guess, the common elements in a poltergeist haunting. It doesn't mean literally 100% of all of them have all of these, but, but it's definitely something that's present in most of them. Okay, first, it begins with a light scratching in the walls, as if there are mice. Just a light scratching. The scratching then proceeds to knocking, and then sometimes, often, to banging. Items like keys, wallets, so forth, disappear, then uh, reappear later somewhere else. There's often, not always, but usually, I'd say, a family member, a particular family member, who is entering puberty or undergoing early puberty. Usually, but not always, someone in the family has some sort of history inv- of uh, involvement in the occult. Something, you know, seemingly as innocent as kids playing with a Ouija board. It's not always the case, but if you really grill the family, you'll find out that, oh, wait a minute, we did try this or that, you know, something in the occult. There is usually, but not always, the appearance of a puddle or several puddles of a mysterious liquid on the floor out of nowhere. This liquid has been analyzed scientifically more than once. It contains usually water, some organic matter, and some unidentified matter, and also a bit of uraic acid, meaning urine. So there's urine in it. It's viscous though, like a syrup and clear. Some people believe this to be ectoplasm, which is a substance that ghosts are believed to either carry with them, can manifest, they're made of it, or they're coated with it or something. It often smells faintly of urine, but it's not pure urine. Some unidentified organic matter in there. Uh, my cousin, by the way, uh, spent the night in a haunted house for his birthday and insists that he had poltergeist-like uh, uh, occurrences there. And he knew nothing about the poltergeist or this particular liquid incident, but he said that a puddle of liquid showed up where there was none before. And I couldn't help but think, damn, that that's really one of the common things in a poltergeist haunting. He had never heard of that. He didn't know that. He just saw the puddle. Okay, another thing, one member of the family in a poltergeist haunting usually receives the worst of the the entity's torment, usually involving things like pulling bedsheets off at night, pinching, poking, slapping, or, you know, otherwise physically abusing them with unseen hands, sometimes scratching them. Often that is the young person. If there's a pubescent person in the family, that will often be the, the one the poltergeist really focuses on and torments the most. There's often but not always another member of the family whom the ghost seems to respect or fear or something. They can they can kind of t- tell tell off the ghost, talk back to the ghost without it getting upset. It usually leaves them alone. It usually doesn't um yeah, it just leaves them alone completely. Um sometimes talks to them but but it doesn't mess with them. It's really bizarre. Okay, there are disembodied voices. Voices around the house sometimes saying things that only the family or the individual could have known, so it shows some kind of you know, supernatural knowledge. The voices will often mock or taunt the family, especially the person it's chosen to pick on. Sometimes the voices can even be comical. Uh, if you're familiar with the alleged bell witch of Tennessee, definitely a poltergeist case. That poltergeist would sing songs, it would repeat sermons that they heard in church that morning. It would mock the secret sins of religious people, tell everyone what they did. It would laugh. It would tell jokes. So that's, that's you know, comical sometimes. <clears throat> there is often the sound of moving furniture or smashing furniture in another room, like loud and disturbing. They, people run into the room and look, and no furniture has been moved or harmed at all. Just the sound. I mean, things that will shake the house, that, that level of noise. Changing stories. Poltergeists who talk. Often claim to be the ghost of this or that person. They have a story behind it and why they're, you know, a disturbed ghost. But the story often changes, so it's kind of like a big liar, you know. They uh, change their stories often. There are often drastic changes in temperature, usually meaning changing to cold in certain distinct spots in the house. So even if it's warm or hot, you'll get one spot that's freezing cold. Levitation has been known to happen. This This one really creeps me out. Often uh, the family member that the poltergeist is picking on sometimes levitate, oh, often will levitate out of bed if it's just a few inches, sometimes all the way up to the ceiling, such as in the infield poltergeist case. Sometimes, but not always, the poltergeist will sexually assault members of the family, pull their clothes off, even pinch their breasts or you know, genitals and things like that. Uh, in one particular case, you may have seen the movie The Entity, where a woman claimed that a poltergeist literally raped her but that's very rare but it sometimes will you know torment them sexually in the sense of grabbing and poking and pinching often there's the mocking of religion in fact that's a all all okay not always but often usually the mocking of religion uh, crucifixes will fall off the walls they'll fly across the room holy pictures are destroyed or torn up and then that's just not just in christian uh, cultures either in poltergeist in non-christian cultures whatever that groups or cultures religion is the poltergeist acts the same way toward that religion. There is an obsessive attention seeking character. The poltergeist seems to crave attention and thrive on it. The more people ignore the poltergeist, the more troublesome it gets and, but, the, uh, but to a point eventually it weakens, but the more people fear it, that fear seems to give it energy and make it stronger. Many poltergeists will communicate by a voice sometimes, but often by knocking. You know, the whole one knock means yes, two knocks means no. They'll ask you questions, but often its answers will be proven false, you know. Uh, lie, more lying. There are sometimes red physical scratches on different parts of the bodies of various family members, usually the one it's picking on. But they're, they're not deep scratches and they don't draw blood usually. They're just kind of a shallow scratch, maybe a couple of dots of blood, but nothing like, a you know, not an incision or anything. Interestingly, poltergeists often leave the family dog or cat alone, almost as if the entity's uh, kind of intimidated by them or the animals can see them, I don't know. And yes, sometimes the dog will bark up at a you know, corner of the room, it can see something the uh, people can't. Sometimes there's writing on the walls. The writing usually will be weird and, and indecipherable. It'll be words, but they just don't make sense in the syntax. Another thing, if holy men or women or someone representing a religion is brought in to bless or to exorcise the house, the poltergeist almost always becomes furious. What'll happen is they'll bless it or they'll exorcise it. The activity will stop for a day or two. Then it'll pick up uh, even worse than before, as if the ghost is angry. If the poltergeist does talk in a voice, at this point in the haunting, it will usually claim that it's leaving soon, like I'll be leaving tomorrow or, you know, but it doesn't. It's just lying. Toward the climax, toward the end of the haunting, sometimes—not always—but sometimes the poltergeist will physically manifest. Often, it's the, like a smoky or cloudy form, vaguely human. Other times, it manifests as an animal that looks like somehow off or uncanny or strange. Something's wrong. Or the animal—you know—the way it looks at the people is is weird. It, like it has understanding in its eyes. In one particular case, the Smurl Haunting, the poltergeist manifested as an angry demon, a giant black-smoking demon, chased Mr. Smurl down the hall and, and scared him shitless. You can imagine, my God, scared the hell out of me. Um, in some cases, such as the Amity- uh, Amityville Haunting, the famous Amityville Horror, it manifests itself by changing the physical appearance of a family member, sometimes making them look really old all of a sudden, then going back to normal. Here's something that most people don't realize. The vast majority of all poltergeist cases only last for two or three months. That's right, two or three months. It's the average time. And then it leaves. So why do they leave? There's basically, I can think of three main ways that a poltergeist leaves a family alone. First, an exorcism or a series of exorcisms by some religious holy person. will drive it out. You know, if it gets angry from the first one, they'll try it again and eventually drive it out. Uh, two, the person that the poltergeist has been picking on, often the young person, they'll grow up and move out to go to college, or they'll, you know, just somehow move away, no longer associated with the place, and it'll just stop. But not always. Or just the activity slows down and one day just stops. No, no explanation. Kind of just leaves as quickly and weirdly as it arrived. Yeah, so all of those things are common to the poltergeist cases. What are we to make of this poltergeist? Later in this series, we'll examine some particular cases of poltergeist hauntings. But for now, what are some possible causes? Keep in mind that I personally do believe in the reality of the supernatural and paranormal, or at least the possibility. I, I wouldn't do this podcast if I didn't. But I'm always willing to look for normal or natural causes first. That's that's only you know good, uh, good investigation. Well, let's take a look. First... Poltergeists could always be a hoax, of course, and there have been cases, such as in the infill haunting comes to mind, where family members, in that case it was two pubescent girls, admitted to throwing things when no one's looking or making noises as a hoax. However, they insisted that the majority of the activity was not them, but they were caught once or twice throwing things. Consider, though, that if you have a group of people who've been conditioned to believe something, i.e., our house is haunted by an evil spirit or by a ghost... It's not hard to trick them. I mean, think about it. The per- person believes there's a poltergeist. They're looking the other way. You knock over a table and you, you gasp and scream. They turn around. They see the table. You're like, oh my God, it just fell over. They'll probably believe you, right? I don't think it would be too difficult to fake a poltergeist haunting for the most part. Some things would be difficult or impossible, but like levitation, for example. But knocking things over, okay, f- possible, possible hoax. Maybe for... But, you know, maybe it's a cultural phenomenon. People fake it for attention, money, any number of other reasons. The second possibility is more metaphysical than paranormal. And what I mean by that, it's not supernatural, but it's, 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 it's natural, but it's just outside the realm of what we yet know about science. Kind of like, uh, oh, I don't know, before, before doctors knew about, you know, microorganisms and germ theory, it, was still, it still existed. <laughs> they just didn't know about it yet. Something like that. This theory usually states that since the the object of the poltergeist's wrath is often a pubescent person, it's that person's hormonal turmoil changes that somehow manifest physically. People who espouse this theory, uh, they don't think it's a ghost, really. It's some kind of scientific phenomenon that we don't know of yet. The more we learn about quantum physics, too, and how weird it is, the more popular this theory becomes. Now for the supernatural theories, if it indeed is the spirit from another a spirit from another realm, it could be the ghost of a dead person. That's what most people think, right? A ghost. What makes this theory doubtful in my mind is that the vast majority of ghost hauntings are subtle. And if we define a ghost as the spirit of a person who's already died and somehow is still on earth or, or remains on earth, you know, sometimes they appear as a misty human figure or they're wearing period clothing from when they lived. They rarely, though, interact with humans, and they never throw objects around, (laughs) just plain old ghosts, especially violently. Uh, Some hauntings that are called residual hauntings are just a spirit, or seem to be just a spirit repeating some action from its life over and over, like completely unaware of any living people around it, not interacting at all. That's one theory. Another theory... States that poltergeists are indeed ghosts, but they've managed to learn to use energy somehow from human fear or emotion to manifest in some physical way, like throwing things around. This would again tie in with the idea of a pubescent person's emotional and hormonal, you know, changes, turmoils, the things, things we all went through when we went through puberty. All that emotion uh, flying around, you know, could somehow, uh, a ghost could use that to use energy. Some people believe ghosts, uh, for example, use electric energy. To communicate. If you've ever heard of an EVP, electronic voice phenomenon, you've probably seen the ghost hunting TV shows, right? <laughs> Where supposedly the energy, electro, electro electronic or electromagnetic energy, uh, the ghost can use it to, to say things, I don't know. Finally, here's the theory I personally believe. Well, let me backtrack. I think it's possible that poltergeists are hoaxes. It's always possible. Later in this series, I'm going to show you why I'm not completely convinced of that, but I can also accept that you know, some metaphysical explanation that we're just not scientifically aware of yet. But if poltergeists are indeed paranormal, here's my theory, and it's that they are not ghosts at all, but evil spirits like demons pretending to be ghosts to fool people. The argument for this theory is that ghosts just could, po- could not possibly have the power, the intelligence, the strength to behave like a poltergeist. They're just too strong. They just know too much. And I imagine evil spirits love tormenting people, right? Also, uh, you know, Satan in the Bible is called the father of lies. You know, Demons are liars. Demons are great liars. And so poltergeists definitely are prolific liars. It's just a theory, but it seems more pro- uh, probable or plausible that if they are supernatural, then they're more likely a demon or an evil spirit pretending to be a ghost. Finally, I always thought this was kind of weird. I can't help but notice throughout all of the poltergeist cases that the entity acts like really like a spoiled teenager who wants attention like the neighborhood bully who just likes causing trouble. I mean, poltergeist has never really actually harmed anyone physically. I mean, a few scratches here and there. There's just one case of a poltergeist actually killing someone, the Bell Witch case, if you're familiar with that. But even then, it didn't physically assault Mr. Bell. It replaced his medicine with poison. So there's no case of a a poltergeist attacking a person physically and doing them any real harm or killing them. So if they really are demons or evil spirits, they they seem to be restrained in some way. Well, there's our introduction to poltergeists. Stay tuned to this season and series because we're going to look at all sorts of fascinating cases of poltergeists. I think you'll really enjoy it. This stuff is fascinating. Like I said, poltergeists truly scare me. (laughs) The idea of it really, really scares me. The idea of someone messing with you, but you can't even see them or know what they're capable of. Yeah, well, it's invasive, you know. So tonight, if you're trying to sleep, but you hear little scratches in the wall behind you, well, you better get ready for three months of hell. Thanks for listening. As always, sleep well, if you can.